Well, I want to share with you um, a phone call I had with my mother about a month ago. She, uh, I, I think I had called her and I was catching up on things. They live in Naples about eight months out of the year. You can go, aww. And then the four months, they, they move up to, uh, to Illinois, up in Gurney, Illinois. But they, they decided to stay uh, a month longer this year. They were smart. Uh, some of you wished you would have stayed through May or close to the middle of May. Um, but I, I was talking to her and just asking her it's around the end of April, you know, when they're coming back and their plans and things. And got done with the conversation and, and she said, can I tell you a story before I hung up, before I hang up? And I, I said, sure. She said, you know, Kevin, about a week ago, my legs started hurting. And, and I've known for a long time my mother has this restless leg syndrome and then this bursitis and different things. And so she just it's really difficult for her to sleep. She is of one person I know. She very seldom complains about any kind of pain. She um, is not that kind of person at all. So I was a little bit taken back when she started to talk to me about this. She said, you know, and it hurts so bad I couldn't sleep. I kept rolling and turning and I kept rolling and turning. And I, and I woke up your father and he turned and he, he said, what's wrong? And my mother told him and he said, let me pray for you. And he, she said he prayed for me, put his hand on my on my, my thigh and, and, and prayed and her legs slowly through the night quieted down and the pain subsided. And she was great. She said, then about a week later, my legs started hurting again. And, and this time, it was really different. She said, Kevin, this was intense pain down my sciatica. And just, I, she said, so much so that I, I wanted to actually cry out. And I, I was lying there in bed in, in excruciating pain. And I was somewhat complaining to the Lord and saying, Lord, please help me in and then she said, I remembered a sermon that I had heard that morning. It was a Sunday morning. And she said, I, I, I had turned on the TV and I listened for a while to this Baptist preacher from one of the churches in Fort Myers. And he was talking about not coming to God half-heartedly. Coming to God with your whole heart. And she was saying, he was talking about prayer, that when you, when you call out to God, um, cry out with, with not just... Help me in complaining, but cry out with authority and, and put a demand in a sense on God. Something like that, she was saying. And, and he says, just cry out, God help me now. I need you. I'm desperate. And so she said, I was in such pain. That came to my mind. And I felt a bit guilty making a demand on God. But the pain was so intense that I wanted his help so badly that I desperately cried out and said, God help me now. I can't take this pain anymore. She said, Kevin, as soon as I said that, it went away immediately. And I thought for a few seconds, and I was feeling a little guilty, but I was really overjoyed at the same time. She said, was this in my head? And she said immediately to me, no, this was in my leg. <laughs> and she said, I was amazed. It was gone. She said, I fell asleep within minutes, and I slept soundly, and I've done so for as I talked to her just a week ago, she's done so for, for weeks. And as I listened to my mother, I was amazed. And then I thought as I was preparing this, we're amazed, aren't we, when God does things. When he allows heaven to touch earth and to invade our space with his goodness and greatness. And I'm not claiming that it's always some miraculous thing, but somehow when God comes in and His Spirit moves in, you sense the realm of the Spirit in His presence. 
And we're amazed, but I ask myself and I ask you, should we? I mean, I think at times the disciples stood back amazed and and Jesus was going, man, Father, they're so dull. They don't get it. I want you to look at a point, um, and, and I was in my quiet times, and so I told you last week that I did that message last week out of my quiet times, and then I was going to do again the message, another message this week, and I had so many people say, would you continue the message you were doing last week? So I'm going to continue the one I did last week. Um, and I want to take you to John chapter 1, verses 45 through 51, because here is a time when Jesus has Nathaniel standing before him, and Nathaniel is amazed. And Jesus, you know, looks at Nathaniel, who is incredibly impressed with what Jesus has just said to him. Nathaniel had never met him before. And he basically kind of says, if you think this is really cool, you wait. That's my paraphrase. See, Philip had, it was, these were some of the first disciples who came to Jesus. And you have um, John Andrew, and then you have Philip, who goes to get his friend Nathaniel. They're all from the, the city of Bethsaida. And he wanted his friend Nathaniel to meet Jesus because Philip was so impressed with who Jesus was and how Jesus was not like the other rabbis and the other rabbis who would, would, would teach and preach, but they didn't teach and preach with authority. They didn't have this connection to the realm of, of the spirit, to the kingdom of God that Jesus seemed to have and to speak about. And so he said, you've got to come meet this guy. In fact, he might be the one we're all hoping for, who will open heaven in a sense for his people. So Philip found Nathanael and told him, verse 45, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. In Nazareth, Nathanael asked, Can anything good come from there? I mean, we all know what Nazareth is about. That was a place of, um, in the backwoods and, and somewhat rebellious. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. What a great label to be put on. Here is an Israelite who is true and within this person is incredible integrity. There is no guile. There is a person you just, you know, what you see is what you get. And Nathanael asked, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael's going, ooh. This is a little bit. He saw me. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He was impressed. He was amazed. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's not that Jesus goes around lying. And this time you've got to pay attention. And when he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he's basically making a point. He's saying, this is something that you can take to the bank. This is something that is so true. And so I want you to listen up right now, because this is really true. And so he makes a statement. This is important then that we understand what he's trying to say when he says this is really true. He says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open. And angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, we don't read anything about angels descending and ascending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man in the Gospels. So you have to ask yourself, well, what does he mean by this? That you'll see heaven open and you'll see angels ascending and descending and coming back and forth from, from this realm of heaven, <clears throat> this 
realm of the spirit, this kingdom of God, which Jesus says is available for anyone who is open to God and to Christ and, and to this to this way of living that is deeper than what we so often live on the surface. I mean, really, how many of us have lived our life and maybe still are and continue to do so and do so from time to time because we all do because we're all human. We all fail. Live on the surface realm of the material and the physical and the things that we think we can grasp and get for ourselves. How often we do that. And Jesus is constantly when we look at this passage and as I've read John, the gospel with new eyes, there's this incredible desire for John to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. And this relationship with Jesus was because Jesus was in touch with what was much deeper than what was just physical and material. Because Jesus had an open heaven, if you want to say. And I'm not saying, a, you know, we, we use this concrete term heaven. And maybe I'll explain it in a second, a little later. But this idea of heaven being up there and out there. And, and really, in reality, it's about the kingdom that is around you and within you, he even says. If you're open to it. I tell you the truth, you should see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so you ask yourself, what does Jesus mean? To understand, you have to see the other places used. So if you want, you can follow along. But if you, you want to as well, you can turn to Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. In chapter 28, verse 10, it's a story of Jacob. And in this passage of Scripture, this very, these very words are used. And it gives a little context and helps you understand what Jesus, I think, was implying. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Jacob had stole the blessing from his brother Esau, and he's running away. He's on his way out from where he had grown up and where God supposedly lived. And he was moving outside of the territory of this God that they, as a, as a, as a people, knew. So I think there's some fear about him leaving the place where God was. And so taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And verse 12 is interesting because, you know, we hear of visions and dreams. You know that in the Muslim world today, just like that story of Cornelius, many Muslims, as Scott and Alyssa Shear, are coming to faith in Christ because they have visions and dreams. That was happening also in communist China. Often when, it's, when the gospel doesn't have the freedom to, to, to roam in the sense in a nation, when, it, when places are closed, God uses all kinds of different ways to work through us. And I think he still works through that way in many people's lives today. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway or a ladder, it says, Resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Very literal picture you have. And look at this. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord your God, the father of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And he continues the promise now to Jacob that was to his fathers and he basically goes on, if you look down to verse 15, let's just move down to there. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. In a sense, he gives him this vision. And Jacob, is, this is what he thinks in verse 16. When he, when he awakes, Jacob, Jacob awoke from his sleep and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, isn't that interesting? He was afraid because of the encounter of this experience. When you have this kind of experience with God, it brings a sense of not, 
fearfulness that you're afraid, but this deep sense of reverence and what have I just come in contact with? And he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In his mind, he's thinking this place is so special that somehow there is an open heaven. There is this realm of the spirit where God truly moves in this place, because how else could I have this kind of experience? And Jesus, if you look at chapter one, tells Nathaniel. You will see an open heaven and you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending. And Jesus was basically saying that you will see through me this realm of the spirit and the activity of God, where God works and what he does and where he moves. I, in a sense, Jesus says, will be an open door for anyone who wants to enter into this. Through relationship with me. Through a relationship where you, where you come into the presence of God in, in the life and in, in the death of Christ and the way that he lived. And he opened that up and he said, in a sense, that as he walked on this earth, he says to Nathaniel, you will see flowing through me the realm of this spirit. You'll see heaven invading earth. You'll see things that you've never dreamed possible. And in a sense, Jesus is the most perfect portal or window of heaven to earth. Isn't that cool? And that's what you see in his ministry. But you know what's even really, really um, exciting and what excited Jesus the most? There was a point when he sent out his disciples two by two to do the works and, and to allow heaven to invade earth. And they came back and they said, Jesus, this is so incredibly exciting that even the demons submit to your name. And Jesus gets excited. And it says there's only one place in Scripture where it says Jesus was full of joy by the Holy Spirit. And that's that place. And you know why he was so excited? Because he realized at that point that he who came in order to introduce people into this realm of the Spirit where they could live with God and this and, and through our soul and spirit, God could interact with this earth with people who don't know Him and with this earth which has been crying out for redemption. He says, in excitement and joy to these disciples, I want you to not get so excited. Don't invest your life and don't let yourself get so caught up in the things that you do that your life is in what you do, but get caught up in the fact that your life is in God, that you are a child of God. And he's so excited. Here's why he's excited. Because he goes on and he says, God, you've revealed this to little children. His point is this. He knew at that point in, in the ministry that these people that he had lived before and he had trained and that he had discipled would go on and be little portals of heaven to earth. He knew it was going to be passed on at that point. And you know, that's true for you and me. We are the generations that have followed that if we desire to move into the realm of the Spirit and we begin to understand what it means to walk in relationship with God, that we have the ability to allow heaven to invade earth. We have the ability for the Word of God as we might speak to someone, not being our Word, but the Word of God actually penetrating to the person's heart, allowing them to hear things that in their own natural self they couldn't hear. Do you know that we have the ability sometimes in the Word of God to, as like that one pastor who preached, my mom in the morning listens to it. In the evening, she's in incredible pain and desperate, and she cries out to God according to what she heard. There's a portal of heaven. God reaches in and touches and does something for her. And I get excited about the Gospel of John because in the Gospel of John, you, you, I see it now in a new light as I read through it. And here is 
is this, this prologue that, end, that allows you to get into the, the Gospel of John, and it begins immediately with John the Baptist, who comes and he says, the Holy Spirit lands upon Jesus in his baptism, and he says, here is one who has come not to baptize with water, but with what? He actually says, the Holy Spirit. And then as you go from there, the very next start, thing you start reading is you read about Nathaniel, who sees the operation of the Spirit, and Jesus ends that one by saying, guess what? I'm going to, you're going to see so much of the Spirit at, at work through me that what you just saw me do in seeing you under a fig tree is nothing compared to what's going to happen. And then he goes on and he talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him and he says, I want to be born from above. I want this born again. I want this spiritual thing that you've been talking about that I hear you teaching. And Nicodemus comes at night and he asks Jesus if he can have this stuff of the spirit. And Jesus basically says to him, you're just probably not ready yet. This is my own interpretation because he doesn't give him the four laws. But he basically says the wind moves as it will. And he talks about that and he says, this is exactly how the spirit of God Works. That's, this is all in John. And so after that, you come to the Samaritan woman, what we spoke about last week. And you come to John chapter 4, verse 4 through 9, and we read that Jesus had to go through Samaria, which is John's way throughout the gospel when he uses that kind of divine imperative. He's talking about the fact that Jesus just was, he wasn't going, well, I have to get to the other side, so I've got to take a shortcut or I'll be late for this commitment that I've made. We talked about that last week. And it wasn't, you know, Jews always went around Samaria and he didn't go the long way. He had to go through Samaria and he had to go through Samaria because the spirit of God was impressing on him and prompting him and moving him to go. And because Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, who was fully obedient to his father. And you just think of the pleasure that would give to a father to have a son so fully obedient. When the father said, I want you to go through there, he knew when the spirit was prompting that he had to go. And so he goes through Samaria. And I don't know if he actually knows why he's going there. But he comes to a town called Sychar, which was in the Old Testament named Shechem. Part of the northern kingdom when the two kingdoms split of Israel. And there was a famous well there, Jacob's well. Jesus comes to this well. He, he tells his disciples who are starving for physical food to go ahead and get food. He's just going to rest at the well. He's exhausted. He's human like us. The, the Gospels constantly, John wants us to see how human Jesus is. That Jesus lived a life and he demonstrated for us how we can be these windows of heaven invading earth. He lived this life so that we would know that our life in full obedience and surrender to God by the Holy Spirit moving through us allows for his spirit to work in our lives and to touch other people's lives. So it's about the sixth hour we're told in the Gospel noon during the heat of the day and jesus is sitting i believe probably with his back resting against the well he's exhausted and a samaritan woman comes to the well where jesus was sitting and jesus knew she was carrying more than the heavy burden of these these water jars she was bearing the weight of incredible shame and guilt because no one no person comes to get water at midday in the heat of the day when the women and i was when i was in ethiopia i remember this very clearly when when they would go to get water, it would be early in the morning. It was when it was cool and when it wasn't too hot. And they'd go down and they would get their water and they would carry it back on their heads or they had other ways and means to bring it along. But they would go down as a group. This was a social activity. So Jesus, seeing a woman come with her jar, huge jar of water, or empty jar of water coming up before, before him, knows. Here is someone who is just full of shame. 
And the Spirit leads Jesus and, and prompts him. Because he could have easily, as a rabbi, because rabbis didn't first of all talk to women, and then as a rabbi in that day, um, you would never actually traverse through Samaria unless you actually had to, and Jesus had to by the Spirit. You wouldn't talk to a Samaritan. This was scandalous. And not only that, we read in a little bit further in the passage that this woman had been married five times and now is so given up on the institution of marriage or the whole hope of security and intimacy she'd get from the marriage that, that she's lost hope in it and now she's living with her sixth husband and he asks her for some water and she responds. And he, she, she basically says to him, why would, you, why would you ask me, a Jew, for water? And Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God, who is it that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The gift is living water, which he goes to explain a little bit later. Verse 11, she says, Sir, the woman says, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also the sons and his flocks and his herd? Here is something that is universal for all of us. And I was saying it a little bit earlier and I'll repeat it again. We don't get this. People don't get this. We are so born to our flesh. We are so, by, when the word of God talks about the flesh, it means to do that which is natural. We are so, we are so prompted to, by our eyes and what is physical and material that we don't understand the things of the spirit and the soul. And so Jesus is trying to draw her as he tries to draw all of us into this, this kingdom of God, this area, this, this depth of living, which is, which is more than just out here and external. Jesus came to Nicodemus. He didn't get it when he said, born, you need to be born again. He comes to this lady about living water. And her first reaction is, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get living water? So Jesus clarifies again, verse 13 of chapter 4. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here you again have this imagery of the, the Holy Spirit. The gift that Jesus is referring to is the Holy Spirit. Just a few chapters before, as we read last week, it, he says in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will fro, flow from within him. And verse 39, John makes an editorial comment, says, By this he meant the Holy Spirit. Jesus had come not merely to save us from our sins, but to teach us how to live in this New realm of the Spirit. And Jesus came so that He could give us His Holy Spirit to live within us, to fill us, to guide us, to empower us, to work through us. And we get so often caught up on what's physical and in, in what's material and in our daily life on the things that we see. And Jesus is constantly drawing our attention back to what is spiritual. So Jesus is asking her to ask Him for the gift of the Holy Spirit and she doesn't get it. She's still in process, just like Nicodemus was and maybe as you are. And us, all of us in one sense are as we keep going back and forth. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again until and then I won't have to keep coming back here to draw water. What I think is really interesting about the word of God and as I was praying about it, in fact, as, as I was running yesterday, this came to my mind as I was thinking about it. You know, God so often deals with if you look at the Old Testament, he deal, he dealt with the children of Israel in very concrete ways. 
images and words. He, he would talk about the, the temple and then he would very concretely draw out that there's this holy place and these different um, levels of engagement. And he, he, would, he would talk, as it says in Hebrew, about the fact that these are shadows or, or shadows of the true substance which is going to come through Jesus Christ. Or the sacrificial system was a sacrificial system which was to show eventually the greatest sacrifice, the love of God that was poured out through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you see all these kind of concrete images. Even the, even the idea of tithing, folks. Think of the idea of tithing. People sometimes say, well, you know, it doesn't say you need to tithe in the New Testament. Well, that's true. But he, he basically was using things like that, very concrete, like you would with children. You know, with children, they don't have the ability to understand abstract, the deeper things of life in that sense. So when you come to them, you have to put three oranges together and you say you take two oranges away and you get what? Okay, I just want to see if you're listening. Um, so when he comes and he says about, talks about tithe, he's talking about tithe in the Old Testament because he's talking to children. He's saying, children, you need to understand that my heart is not about you giving away your money. I have all the money in the world. It doesn't really matter about that. I'm trying to teach you about spiritual realities using very concrete things. And so he says 10% is a good kind of measure concretely because it's just enough to put you in a place of faith. It's enough to take you from being in a place of feeling like you're in control to saying, if I give this away, I can't make it. And he says, yeah, that's right. He's trying to teach you two things in that concept. Very concrete. He's trying to teach you to be a person of faith and he's trying to teach you to be generous. And the, what God always wants to do is take concrete concepts like that to teach us about the deeper spiritual realities of who we really are. Beings who are spirits with flesh. And so he comes to, G, to, to her and, and, and she says, give me some water. She still doesn't understand it. He goes to clarify and he knows now he needs to go one step deeper to, in order for her to understand what he's really seeking to bring. He wants to move to the place of the soul and spirit. So Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. And she makes that very, very honest statement. I have no husband thinking by saying that he wouldn't go any further. And Jesus said to you, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then it, Jesus isn't shaming her. He's basically doing a few things. I want to share with you just a few things he's seeking to do. First, he's, he's seeking to expose her need. She just didn't understand it. If you, if you don't have your deepest need exposed, you'll still live out here on this level. So that's what Jesus does. He begins to bring up the issue of her husband's not again to shame her, but to help her see her need. He wants her to know I'm not talking about physical water, but he wants you to understand this living water is about spiritual water that quenches your heart's deepest need. And she has been trying to quench her life like many of us do with things that are material and the things that are material, the things that are physical, those kind of things never ever were meant to quench our deepest soul's longing. In fact, she has now lived with five husbands. And you have to ask yourself, why five? What is the deal? The one didn't work, so she thought maybe this next one. She's looking for something. She's longing for something. She wants to be in relationship. Maybe it's the security that comes from that relationship. It might be the fact that she needs this intimacy and she wants to feel one, this companionship. They're all really good things that we long for. It's just, as long as we keep longing for that which won't fulfill, we'll never have our thirst quenched. 
It's not going to happen in some new relationship. It's not going to happen by making more money. It's not going to happen because of the right title. It's not going to happen because your kids are really good and grow up and don't do bad things. Those things will never, ever, ever supply the deepest need of the Spirit. So here is Jesus, this window portal of heaven, coming in, breaking forth, and this time not doing a miracle, although the miracle is that the Holy Spirit allows him to know some things, which God does when your heart's open at times. But the miracle is the, the, the spirit that comes forth and exposes her need. And Jesus said, I got living water. And the analogy of living water is a very good analogy because living water is, is different than water that is from a cistern. Cistern was rainwater that was collected. And if it, and if it wasn't used, it'd become stagnant and it didn't taste real good. Living water was that which came from a spring, from an unknown source that could continually bubbled up. And he's basically saying the Holy Spirit who enters into your life through through my relationship with me, this Holy Spirit will quench your soul and quench your thirst. And so he exposes our need. Jesus lets her feel her pain. That's the next thing. He not only exposes her need, but he lets her feel her pain. Jesus brings up the issue of her husband to help her see her need and feel her pain. It's amazing to me how a little bit of pain gets people moving, right? It's amazing how God uses and allows pain to force us to look deeper. He allows her to go through one, two, three, four, five, and now lives with the sixth husband because he's seeking all the time in your life through the pain that's going on, through the things you're seeking to find God in. He's allowing for you to find that there is no life there and he'll continue to do it. And the pain gets bigger until finally, maybe if you're open to it, you'll you'll open yourself to to this voice that comes through Jesus Christ in his spirit. And so he brings up this issue of her husband's in order that she might feel her pain and pain is an incredible motivator. You know, we put up, we put up a a, a fence around our yard for our dogs. Anybody ever done that? Isn't it amazing? I have, I also have some horses and they're huge animals. It's amazing to me how a little bit of electricity will keep them within an area restrained. Isn't it? It's amazing to me how they will move away from that, which brings pain. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain. I remember a particularly long stretch in my life, three, four years, where I was going through pain, and God was allowing me to go through this pain. I kept asking him to take it away. I kept asking him, you know, come on, God, do a miracle here in my life. And and sometimes when you're in this time of pain, God is actually beginning to, to break down things within your heart and soul, your spirit, that get in the way of his spirit being able to have full control over you. He is more concerned about your character developing and you becoming like Jesus than he is concerned about making you happy for the moment. And I remember going through that long period of pain. I remember I bought a little cross and I I put it in my pocket. And then every once in a while, when I felt that pain, I'd feel that cross. And I go, you know what, Jesus, you went through this as well. And you didn't have to. But you did it for me. And I remember that and I'd rub that cross and I'd go, you know what, Jesus, this is so painful, but you're doing this for me. You're breaking things inside of me. You're, 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 you're beginning to help me understand that there are strategies that I've chosen from my, from my home life and from other ways throughout my life that I had adopted that were very much not helpful, causing other people pain. And I want to repent from that. And this pain I realize that you're using my life to bring around this change within me is going to be useful for other people, just like the pain you went through. 
I just want to encourage you, if you're going through that, Jesus is very much concerned, not so much about the physical. He's concerned about what's going on in your spiritual, deeper part of your character. And so he comes to this woman because, you know, it, it couldn't have been a joyride to go through five husbands and now be living with a sixth and all the, all the shame that came with that in her community. And so Jesus exposes her need. He allows her, he allows you and us to feel pain. And then Jesus um, challenges us. And I love this part about Jesus more than probably one of the things I love most about Jesus is that he he challenges us to get real. He challenges us to get real. Jesus hates lies. God hates phoniness. He can't stand hypocrisy. He hates it when people play church rather than really live it, which means you are engaged in, in, in a life with God and another and one another. Jesus doesn't say to her, here, take the gift. He first says, you need to see your need, you need to feel your pain, and now you need to get real. And that's why he talks to her about her husband. Because Jesus knows that any life lived dishonestly or in denial will not change. Jesus knows if we don't get honest, we can't get help. We need honesty, we need humility, and we need to be real in order for our health to develop. And I say that not only individually, but I say that as a church. Can you imagine going to a financial counselor and sitting down before him and sharing with him all your information, but you hold back this big debt? A lot of good that's going to do. Can you imagine, and I've had this happen in marital counseling where people sit down and they share all these things, but the one thing the person doesn't share is the fact that they have an emotional relationship with someone at work. Because I've come to realize now a lot of times in counseling when people aren't, are being drawn apart, often there's something that's emotionally pulling them in another direction. Not always, but often. But can you imagine getting help if you don't get real about that? How many would go to the car mechanic and say, you know, my car's not working real well, and you know there's a bunch of things, but you hold back one thing, there's a big knock in the engine. You don't want them to know that. That seems stupid. You see, Jesus says that if we don't get real, we don't get honest, we don't get humble about what we need and expose the need, feel the pain, and say, this is who I am, then you can't get help. God would much rather have us look at one another in this place here and get real with what's going on in our lives, then come to church and sing a bunch of songs at Him. Does that make, does that make sense? He would much rather, the church is much more about people interacting in a real way, getting to know one another, understanding one another, so the Holy Spirit can use you as a portal of heaven to, to act and to, to work into your life to help you to grow. But if you come and, and you think like so often we do, we pull into the parking lot. Anybody do this? You pull into the parking lot, you see some nice BMWs, you see a couple nice other cars, some Lexuses, I guess, or whatever they're called. Um, Audis and Volt, and, and, you, and you come in and you see people dressed to the nines. They look good. And you sit down and you go, boy, they got their act together. Take a look at someone right now. Just turn, turn a look. I mean, it's going to be a little painful, but just turn a look. <laughs> they look like they got their act together, right? Folks, the reason we're here is because we don't. And the world around us needs to know that. The reason we're here is because we know of someone who has put us in touch with someone who allows His Holy Spirit to work and to move and to develop within us the person He wants us and has created us to be. God revels in people becoming like the people He has chosen them to be. 
He wants you. He wants you to live in this realm, connected to His Spirit, and His Spirit moving in and through you to create within you the kind of person you're to be so that you can also allow others to be touched by that same incredible love and grace. I want to close with this. Stuart Cove is one of the world's premier diving instructors. His dive shop is in the Bahamas, and he's certified 10,000 people over the past 25 years. And every one of those 10,000 people at one time was unable to experience life beneath the ocean surface. They saw pictures of this underwater realm and watched films about the extraordinary life that exists underwater, usually narrated by this guy with a thick French accent, and his last name is what? Gustav, right. Some have tried snorkeling and enjoyed the underwater experience to a certain depth. Anybody done that? Yeah, it's kind of fun. However, this only increases for some the longing for more. Stuart Cove came to these people with a simple message and invitation. There is more to the ocean than what you see on the surface. What you see in pictures and films is real, beautiful beyond your wildest imagination, and it's accessible to you. Come, he says to me, learn from me, and I will teach you how to exist under the surface of the water. And in, in reality, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came and he preached everywhere there's a kingdom of God or this realm of the spirit. And he said, guess what? I'm going to give you an invitation. Come to me. And if you walk with me and you you begin to listen to me and not only just listen, because, folks, it's not about information. It's about obedience to that information. The more you begin to take that in and you promptly obey the spirit, the more the spirit will begin to live in you and begin to move through you to touch other people. And guess what? If you do it individually and I as well and all of us do it as a group. Guess what kind of portal we could open for heaven to come to earth. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have come here not to sing songs merely, but we have come here to open our heart and our lives to you, to receive from you this invitation that says, follow me, walk in me. And move into the things of the Spirit. God, lead us as a body into those things of your Spirit. God, I feel in some ways as I pray before you a bit like like Moses. I don't know exactly where we're going to. I know there's a wilderness, but I know there's a land of promise. God, lead us step by step. Walk us through this so that we, God, would see you do the great works that you have promised to do through this body. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.